you for listening to another inspiring message from the Movement Church. To find out more about the Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. Good morning. Oh man, this is, this is my favorite service. This is now our third week of two services and I legitimately say that in every service. So feel extremely special right now. Do you feel special? Oh man, this is so good. Listen, I, I'm so excited that you're with us today on part three of our series called Shake It Off. And we, we did definitely pull from the great theologian Taylor Swift for the title of this series, but she has nothing to do with anything that we're actually talking about. So rest at ease, although you should like her music because she's just good. Can I get an amen for that? Oh man, now you're awake. Good. So Taylor Swift, mark that down. They like that. That's good. Hey, listen, uh, we're in a series called Shake It Off, and this is how to handle the ups and downs of every or any relationship. We actually believe that experiencing the greatest season of your life is directly tied to who you do life with. Like you heard in high school at the anti-drug rally, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. We actually believe that there is truth to that. And the challenge is that in all of our relationships, that seems to be where the biggest amount of hurt or trials or tragedy might come is when somebody does or says something or doesn't do or doesn't say something. And man, it maybe hurts or it takes away or man, it begins to feel rejected or, or whatever it might be. It begins to challenge sometimes the very core of who we are, whether you're married or engaged, whether this is between you and a child or you and your parents, maybe siblings or co-workers, bosses, it doesn't matter where, people that you go to high school with, it doesn't matter. Every relationship that we're in has a direct effect with where God wants to take us. And that's what this series is about. It's about unpacking practical solutions based on God's word for my everyday life. It's our hope that every time you come to the Movement Church, you don't just get inspired by great teaching or inspirational worship or Shamu on the wall, but we hope that you will actually leave this building, that all of us will leave this building with some practical truths that will help me make it in my everyday life. Can I get an amen, right? And so listen, one of the things I want to tell you about is this series is done like a book, right? So this series is a few, I think it's about six weeks long, and so each Sunday is like a chapter in the book. And if you miss one, you might miss an entire component that's actually essential for the entirety of the series. So we want to encourage you, if you missed a week, get online and listen to one of the podcasts so you can kind of catch up to where we're at. Today, I'm going to reference some things from earlier portions of this series. But before I go any further, I want to tell you about one thing that's really important to us. At the end of this series on October 23rd, I believe it is, we're actually going to go to a marriage kind of mini seminar at one of our favorite churches in LA. Uh, that church is called Oasis. Their pastors, Philip and Holly Wagner, they are on the board here at the Movement Church. And one of the, the chief marriage gurus, Jimmy Evans and his wife, are going to be teaching about some practicals for you and for me. And I want to encourage you, if you're married, you're brand new, or you're engaged and you're thinking about it, or you've been married for 25, 35 years, come out and hang out with us. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's a free event. And we'd encourage you to take advantage of that and make it a, a date weekend. In fact, that's what my wife and I do. We're getting a hotel. We're going to ditch the kids for a t- 24-hour period. It's going to be fantastic. Can I get an amen for that? 
Yeah, and so we'll have fun. So make plans to come out. If you want to be a part of that, just text the word I do or words I do to the number on the screen and we'll send you some more information about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Does that sound good? Well, let's jump into the same. Before we do that, let's pray. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, we just thank you for what you're doing in this place. We thank you that your purpose and your plan is for us. And Holy Spirit, we invite you into this room right now to do what you want to do in our lives. We give you the, the, the right to rearrange the furniture in our lives, to shape and mold and make us into the men and women that you've called us to be. So God, right now, all of us, we just open our hearts and our ears to hear and receive whatever it is you want to say to us. And God, we thank you for a Cowboys victory tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Last week my prayers didn't work, but that's okay. We're going to move on. This week's sermon title is Shake Off Bad or Horrible Expectations. Shake Off Horrible Expectations. If you missed week one and two, we talked about shaking off bad communication. And man, we kind of unpacked some practicals, but today... We want to talk about expectations, namely horrible expectations. Listen, every single one of us in this room, we have expectations for everything. You have an expectation of exactly how your double pump, no foam latte should taste at every Starbucks that you go to. And when you get your latte back and it just is a hint off, you throw it back at the face of the barista. No, you don't do that, right? We don't do that. You go, ma'am, excuse me, uh, this was supposed to have two pumps and I taste three and we need to change. Right? You have an expectation of your Starbucks. You have an expectation of your employer. You do. You have an expectation of how they should handle or your employee. Right? You have an expectation that every week or every other week or every month you're going to receive a paycheck. You have that. If you get direct deposit, you're watching to make sure that it goes in. You have an expectation for everything. Have you ever worked for a boss that comes to you and is like, hey, about that paycheck, we're going to need to wait a week. You ever had that? I have. It's not fun. And you're like, uh, is this optional or is this up for debate? <laughs> What's going on here, right? You have an expectation of what your experience is going to be like at the movement church. You have an expectation of the sermon from this good-looking white dude. You expect me to say that every week too, don't you? Yeah, you do. Yes, you do. You have this expectation of Jeremy to do this at least one time in the worship journey. And he does every time. You have an expectation of free, amazing, organic coffee when you walk into the building. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Can you imagine the tragedy that would happen and take place, the revolt, the riots all across South Orange County if we didn't have the free coffee for you on Sunday morning? We have expectations for everything. We have expectations for everything. And then when it comes to relationships... The biggest challenges or frustrations occur when our experience does not match our expectation. Our biggest frustration occurs in any relationship when our experience does not match our expectation. The idea that we had in mind, what we were hoping for. Today we're going to talk about shaking off bad or horrible expectation. And listen, people have been struggling with this since the beginning, the beginning of humanity. Even the people who were closest to Jesus struggled with horrible expectations. 
I mean, there is a portion and a time in the scriptures where the men came to Jesus and they're talking to him about what he's going to do. In Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, the disciples rally and they come to Jesus and they say, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, this is kind of an important passage because what you may not know, and and it's okay, depending on where your faith background is or if you know any history throughout Scripture, what you may not know is in this season, when the disciples were talking to Jesus, they were under tyrannical rule of the Roman Empire. And I say tyranny, not lightly, but very real, because they had taken over Jerusalem and Israel. They had taken over the promised land that was given by God to the Jews. And they treated them very poorly. There were a number, hundreds of laws actually, that Romans could force Jews to do specific things. One of them being, if a Roman was journeying on his way and saw a Jew on the side of the road, he could point to them and say, hey, carry my stuff. And by law, that individual had to carry the belongings of the the Roman for at least a mile. We're talking walking. I mean, this is just just one of very many horrible rules. So now the disciples are coming to Jesus. They have been praying for and asking for a Messiah for hundreds upon hundreds of years. Believing that God was going to send a Messiah to rescue them from the Roman Empire. Very similar to how he sent Moses to rescue them from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And here's Jesus who steps on the scene. And regardless of your faith background or where you stand, you can't read or listen or hear the speaking of Jesus and think, man, that guy was a horrible dude. I mean, the dude steps on the scene and he speaks things that nobody has ever said before. When he would step off a boat in a new town, there would be thousands of people there before emails, before news tickers and Fox and CNN and before Twitter, before Facebook, thousands of people would rally. When he was speaking... Blind men and women would run and he would speak words and they would get healed. The lame would walk. Dead would rise again. The dude walked on water. We're talking this guy was a bad amemajama. Right? And so if you're the disciples, it makes sense that you're thinking he's the guy who's going to take over and destroy. Let's grab the swords, the spears, the shields. Come on, because Jesus is going to Jedi wave and Romans are going to fall. So they come to him and they're like, hey, is this the time to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus responds with this kind of hysterical Yet real response, very similar to how you, if you have kids and they come to you maybe an hour or two before dinner, hey mom, can I have a cookie? And you say, no, you can have an apple. Uh, But mom, I asked for a cookie and I told you, you're going to have an apple, right? Or hey, can I go outside? No, you can take a nap, right? It's not like there's another option. This is what you get, right? This is what he's saying. So he comes back with this response and he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed. By his own authority saying, listen, God's got this thing covered. Like when you're driving on a road trip and a child says, are we there yet? Is it legal to slap a kid then? I don't think it is. And you shouldn't do that, right? I've never done that. But my kids will say, hey, are we there yet? And I'll say, hey, when we get there, how will you know? Well, the car will stop, dad. Will we stay in the car when we're there? No, dad, we'll get out. Well, are we in the car right now? Yeah, dad. Is the car moving? Yeah, dad. Are we there yet? No, dad. Don't ask again, right? 
That's what I'm saying every time, right? So Jesus said, hey, you don't need to worry about the time that God's going to establish the kingdom. And here's where the, you know, can I have a cookie? No, you get an apple comes in. He says, hey, but you, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So right, here's the apple for a cookie part. He said, they said, hey, are you going to take over the kingdom? He goes, no, 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 that's not even my plan. He says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then he says, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He's saying, no, no, we're not here to fight. We're actually here to bring the gospel of the good news of who Jesus is. And not only that, but you're going to be persecuted for witnessing. And good news, you probably become a martyr. Yeah, yeah. He said, no one ever to being a martyr. They're like, hey, we have an expectation. Jesus is going to overthrow the Romans. And God is like, no, we're going to be witnesses of the truth of God's word. Expectations have been challenging relationships for millennia. And I believe that most problems in our relationships occur when we have unspoken or unrealistic expectations. We're going to unpack a couple of these and really try to pull maybe one big picture, one, one big truth that we can walk out of this building with and maybe apply to our life. Because most of the problems in our relationships happen when we have unspoken or unrealistic expectations. So let's talk about unspoken expectations for a moment. Unspoken expectations. And I kind of wrote my own uh, definition for this. And so this is not like a, a, a Webster's dictionary for the phrase unspoken expectations. But what I have is this. Unspoken expectation is operating under the assumption that others know exactly what you expect in any and all scenarios without having communicated said expectations. So I expect you to know exactly what I want or need or like, and I am not told you at all, right? If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Can I just get an amen without saying anything? Go ahead. It's good. Amen. Yes. Listen, I, I, I don't know about you, but we have, um, we have a number of, of pieces of furniture from a high-end furniture store called Ikea. And, um, and I know y'all have not heard of that one. Not Ikea, it's Ikea. It's a little different. And... Uh, you know, it's my favorite place. You buy furniture and you put it together. It's genius if you think about it, right? You, they, they, you pay them and you do all the work. It's a brilliant, brilliant idea. And so we have a couple of drawers or dressers in our house that are from Ikea. And if you've ever had an Ikea dresser, then you know that when you put more than three t-shirts, maybe even tank tops in that thing, the stupid bottom, which is made of like one sheet of paper, it's going to fall out and you can't open or close it, right? Or if you open it too aggressively, you know what I'm saying? After about 40 times, the little screw things pop off and it hits you in your shin. And then you want to say words you're not supposed to say, right? So, I mean, I've repaired these stupid drawers that I'm grateful for at least 752 times, times 10. And one time, Megan's in the girl's room and she's kind of organizing things and cleaning stuff up. And, and I'm in the, in, in the living room and I'm, you know, praying for hours, for you specifically by name, fasting for a 30-minute window, and uh, just some say watching TV, I say seeking the Lord, and Megan yells out, hey, babe, I say, yeah, babe, what's up, sweet one that I love, that's how I respond every time, my boo, mm. and she's like, hey, can you fix this dresser, 
and I respond aptly with joy in my heart? Yes. Problem solved, right? No. Because what Megan means is, Carrie, in the next 7.2 seconds, get off of the couch and don't walk but sprint into this room with all the tools necessary. And before three minutes pass, please have restored the dresser to its entirety and its full structural integrity in the, in the way that it should be placed and have this thing done in 10 minutes. And when I say yes, I mean at some point between right now and when Jesus returns at the end of the millennia, by the time the next red moon appears, if at some point in, in that said distance of time, either me or passing that down on the wheel, in my will to my children's children, that dresser is fixed and we're all good, right? It's all gravy, baby. Can anyone get what I'm saying, right? That, that's problematic, isn't it? That's an unspoken expectation. So the next day when the dresser is exactly as it was the day prior, Megan is not happy. And I'm oblivious. But we both had the, who said right? Settle down. I don't like that kind of amen, right? No, we, it, we both were on the same page, but it was an unspoken expectation. And now we have conflict. And while this is silly and superfluous, this is very common in the relationships that we're in. We think you are thinking and planning in the exact way that I... Moms, you think that the critical and precise routine that you have created for your children, that your husband just naturally knows that through osmosis. And ain't nobody ever going to know that but you, okay? Right? Are you checking with me? We, we think that when we come into work and, and we had a... A, a horrible morning and we've told no one that all of our coworkers should just know by the aura that we portray that it's been a rough morning. Don't talk to me until I've had two cups of coffee, right? This happens in every relationship that we have unspoken expectations and often those unspoken expectations lead to massive conflict that create irreconcilable, irreconcilable differences. And, and listen, um, the, the scripture, in fact, the writer Paul, he unpacks kind of a, an appropriate way to handle this. And in, in 1 Corinthians 13, I think the actual scripture, uh, it, it will be on the, on, on the screens here. And, and unfortunately, uh, the movie Wedding Crashers made this popular for millennials, but, but this is God's word first. So uh, 1 Corinthians 13, it says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I have away, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain Nothing. He's in essence saying that if I just have great intentions and great thoughts of love and affection and devotion, it's not enough. Because he goes on in verse 4 and he begins to unpack these action words that clearly define what love is. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude, even if you haven't had your first cup of coffee. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable 
or resentful, even if your kids ask a hundred times, are we there yet? It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I like another translation that says, love never fails. What is this painting a picture of? That it's not enough just to think it or to have great intentions, but if I love in any relationship... If I care, then it's going to be communicated through the way that I speak and the way that I live. Meaning that the responsibility is on us to clearly communicate our expectations. But more than that, just to clearly communicate how much we value you. Unspoken expectations cause so much conflict, but I believe one that's even more challenging are unrealistic expectations. And my definition for that is simply this, operating under the assumption that the standards I've set for any given scenario are acceptable standards for all. Let me read that again. Operating under the assumption that the standards I've set for any given scenario are acceptable standards for all. How many of you have ever uh, you, you, you have a, owned an Apple audio product, either an iPod or a phone, and you've got the Apple earbuds, the white earbuds, raise your hand. Awesome. It was so much better. The first service was like one person. I just felt like so disconnected. I was frustrated. I judged everyone harshly. I just walked off the stage, actually. It was awesome. Well, those things are amazing and demonic all at the same time. Right? Because it, it, in, in 0.7 seconds, they will be a tangle of a rat's nest that is nigh impossible to untangle. And if you're driving in the state of California and a phone call comes in and you can't touch your phone or you go to jail for 42 years and, and, and you try to reach for those earbuds to untangle them while you're driving, you're probably going to hit somebody just untangling the stinking earbuds. And please, you know, figure out a solution. You, you should never use a Bluetooth earpiece ever. Just a little tip from me to you. That's not the series about, but you're welcome. And so, man, I actually have a very specific way that I wrap and, 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 and pack my earbud cables. Some people call it OCD. I just call it excellence and godliness, okay? Can anybody understand what I'm saying out there? Yeah. And so I'll do, I, I keep my pinkies up just so it's proper. I'll twist, wrap, twist, wrap. And then I use a little clasper to plop. And then I, I tuck them in and around. And, and literally when I get my earbuds out, I can pull them out, pop, foop, plug them in, and I'm ready to go. Y'all should applaud because that's pretty awesome. Well, guess who does not have that skill set? Anyone who lives in my home. And one time I asked my wife to put my earbuds away. And I thought we were going to end in a divorce. Because I thought, actually one time she was doing a craft and she was cutting a piece of paper and cut through my earbuds. And I said, why would you do that? She said, they were laying on the table. But you put the piece of paper over the earbuds. She said, but they shouldn't have been on the table. And I thought, I don't know what to do right now. So now I have like four sets of earbuds hidden all around the house so that anytime she needs them, I can grab those and give them to her because mine are tucked nicely exactly where they go. And what I learned early is it is not realistic for me to expect Megan to wrap my earbuds in the way that they should be wrapped, right? It's an unrealistic expectation. Just because it's a standard I've set does not... Who said yes? You guys are giving feedback at the wrong time. It's unrealistic because I cannot expect her to do things. Just because I set the standard does not mean it's an acceptable standard for everyone. In our first year of marriage, 
Sorry, you get real stories from us. There's a lot of churches with really awesome pastors. We're not one of them, but no, I'm kidding. Um, so in our early years of marriage, uh, she was a teacher for seven years, and she was the breadwinner in our home. I was in ministry, and we were, thank God, she was working her, so hard, and it fed our family, and I was crying. And no, anyways, one day, she, she's driving to work, and she calls me on the cell phone, and she is like hysterically crying, yelling at me. And not the kind where I'm thinking the car's on fire, but the kind where I'm trembling because I know this is not going to end well. And she's like, and it was the worst morning for her ever. The, her clothes weren't ironed and her hair wasn't doing right. And the blender exploded and she gets in the car and she's 15 minutes late when she leaves the house. And she's like, and I'm like, I don't know what's wrong. What happened? She goes, why didn't you put gas in the car? I have to stop and get gas now. And I'm thinking, so does the rest of America. Congratulations. Why did you put gas in my car? And she's hysterical, scream crying. And I'm like, I don't know why you're doing this. Everybody puts gas in the car. And it just ended with a hang up, right? Not, she drives to work. I go to work. I come back and I'm expecting just, you know, this uh, atomic explosion in my house. And we sit down and we're arguing back and forth. And why didn't you fill my car up with gas? It was empty. And I said, you drove past five gas stations on your way home. And I already have a problem with this anyways. You've got to handle your own business. And she was like, you should put gas in my car. And it went back and forth. I said, why do you think I should put gas in your car? And she said, because my dad checked my mom's gas tank every night. And he would drive to the filling station around the corner and fill it up and bring it back. And I said, you should have married your dad. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I didn't say that part. And I said, babe, I just don't know that I can actually meet that criteria. It was an unspoken and an unrealistic expectation. And I would love to say that I fill her gas tank up, but I, I don't. We both have areas for growth in our relationship. <laughs> unrealistic expectations. These sound silly, but there are a lot of things that feed into this. Age, gender. Faith background. If you grew up in a, in a faith background that's very strict and rules right and wrong driven, then it might be challenging at times to walk into the building because you're going to think that people are going to tell you what you're doing right or what you're doing wrong and how messed up your life is. And it affects things. Unrealistic expectations. And one of the things that plays into this the, in, in the biggest way is our past experience. What we walk through and what we go through in life. And if we're not careful, our past experience can paint an unrealistic expectation of others, creating impossible relationship standards. Picture this, if you will, just for a moment, a hypothetical situation. A mom and a dad get into an argument, maybe as most arguments do, starting off seemingly unimportant over where you're squeezing the bottle of toothpaste from, or is the toilet paper flap up or down? We all know the answer to that one. And so, uh, you know, maybe this argument just kind of erupts. And, and as it begins to build, the tension begins to rise. And we're now talking a little louder than we were before. And then mom begins to kind of subtly drop these passive-aggressive hints. Well, if you'd ever do that, and if you'd ever do this. And man, I, you know, man, that one guy I dated, he said this. And why don't you do that? And as that happens, the tension escalates even more. And the father who... He's a bull in a china shop. Should have been here for week one. And he gets frustrated beyond what you can imagine. And he starts saying things he doesn't even mean. But he's thinking out loud. And he's yelling out words that are penetrating. And man, they're just piercing her heart. 
And finally it builds to an escalation. He storms out of the door just like he does in every argument. Until one day he doesn't come home. And picture in that room, if you will, a young girl and a young boy. Son and daughter. And the son sits there and he listens to this argument. And like clockwork, he can see and figure out and know where it's going. And he knows that in just a few moments, dad's going to walk out the door just like he always did. Yep, there he goes. And as dad storms out, mom storms in. And your dad always. And your dad never. And he promised he would. And he said he'd quit. And he didn't. And mom begins to lamb blast dad and just talk about the things that he's doing wrong. And the son is here hearing all of these things. The daughter is in her room. Door closed, earbuds in, listening to music. Curled up in a ball in the bed like she always is, not knowing how to handle this scenario. Every time they get in a fight, I just want to leave. And she does. Now imagine this young girl and this young boy, they grow up. The past experience is now painting a relationship picture for them. And the boy only remembers his mom talking negatively and poorly about his father. So he grows up with a lack of self-worth and self-esteem. Not really knowing even who he is. But also feeling like every woman is only going to be disrespectful to any man. Cut him down. So every relationship he gets into, it's all about what is in it for him. Every source of communication up. Go ahead, I don't care. You don't love me, you don't respect me anyways. Or maybe the young girl who's now a young woman graduates from college, she's in corporate America and conflict arises in the boardroom and a fight breaks out. What do I do? I don't know. I run from conflict just like I always have. Maybe she's married. Catches him cheating. What do I do? I just run. That makes sense. He's just like my dad. My dad always left. Grows up with this expectation that all men eventually leave. Now while it's a hypothetical scenario, there's a lot of truth in each component of that story. And our past experience plays a huge part of all the relationships that we're in. The way that we were treated, the way that people speak to us, the way that people didn't speak to us. And it's so easy for us to allow our past experience to paint an unrealistic expectation of someone else. So much in in, in a way that, man, it's almost impossible for anyone to live up to it. Or we're just waiting for them to fail us or let us down just like everybody else did. If we're not careful, this unspoken and these unrealistic expectations actually become so damaging, so challenging that we might have a hard time in any relationship that we're ever in. But you need to know that it doesn't have to be that way for you. It doesn't have to be that way for you. One of the most powerful scriptures that we find in the Bible is the one that says, when we say yes to who Jesus is, we are made new. 
that just because our past experiences are horrible or maybe even our current relationship experiences are challenging doesn't mean they have to be that way moving forward. The crazy part is that the onus, the responsibility is on us and how we manage our expectations. And that is challenging because we want to place the responsibility on somebody else. But when we place the responsibility on someone else to meet an expectation that's not impossible, we're going to be let down every time. Another challenge with unrealistic expectations is what the psychologists call the fundamental attribution error. The fundamental attribution error. And this is the tendency to attribute other people's behavior to character and intention rather than to situational or external factors. Let me explain kind of what that means. It's the idea that when somebody behaves poorly, instead of seeing external factors playing into that, we immediately assume it's their character or their intention towards us. For instance, if you send out a text, hey, how are you thinking about you today? What's going on in your world? somebody doesn't text you back, the fundamental attribution error would say that we would immediately assume that they don't care about us or don't love us or don't value this relationship. If someone's late to a meeting, we'll think, they don't value my time. They don't value the time of this corporation. They only care about themselves and what's good for them. They're only in it for what's good for them. Or here's another one that seems silly, but yet, It happens all too often. You walk into church on a Sunday morning and you pass by somebody who you've talked to multiple times and said hi and connected with. Maybe you went to a connect group with them and you said hey to them. And in that moment, they didn't say hi back. And so you kept walking and came to your seat, hoping and praying they wouldn't sit next to you. And you immediately think, what did I do? Why are they being a jerk? What's their problem? The fundamental attribution error states that If somebody does something poorly towards us, there's some kind of intention or desire in their heart against us. But the flip side of this is that when something happens or I have poor behavior, it's not character or intention, it's external circumstances. And often we'll exaggerate the external circumstances to benefit us. For instance, when we're late to a meeting, It's because my alarm didn't go off and then I was trying to make breakfast. The blender exploded. My kids wouldn't get out of the house. My husband and I got in a fight and da-da-da-da. Then I had to stop and get gas in my car because my husband didn't build up the gas tank. That's why I'm running late to a meeting. Not because I don't care, but just because something crazy was going on in my world. Or when you said hi to me and I didn't say hi back, it wasn't because I didn't love you. It's just because I just got a text that was kind of heavy from a friend and I didn't know how to respond. And honestly, I just didn't even hear you so funny we will place external factors into our decision making of poor behavior when it comes to other we will attribute their character and intention to their poor behavior can you see this at work in your life these are silly and superfluous yet very real and very true unspoken and unrealistic expectations become so damaging in each of our relationships And what's crazy is that Jesus paints a picture for us in Mark chapter 12. 
And he begins to unpack exactly how we are to clearly define expectations. He talks about how we're to treat each other. And what's so crazy about Jesus, who just spoke so much truth and brought so much hope with everything that he said, the the religious leaders of the day were so intimidated by him. And they were constantly trying to pin him in a corner with what he would speak. And so they thought, you know, we'll ask him which of the Ten Commandments or which of the commandments are the greatest. And they had like 465 Levitical laws. And they're trying to trap him into saying one versus the other to get two different religious parties at war against Jesus. And, and Jesus just kind of takes a step back and he says, well, you know, the first and the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength everything that you are. And I think that's a powerful start for those of us in this room today. But he follows it up and he says, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there is no other commandment greater than these. What he's saying is that the expectations that we should place on other people are the expectations that we expect others to place on us. You see, the challenge happens when my expectation and my experience don't match up. When what I'm hoping for and what I'm longing for and what I desire does not match what I'm experiencing today. And when this happens in any relationship, in anything that you encounter, you have a choice. The responsibility is on us. When our expectation doesn't meet our experience, it creates a gap. And we choose what we fill that gap with. We choose what we fill that gap with. So often in so many relationships, we desperately want to fill it with something great. But really what that gap is filled with is he's just like every other man in my life. My dad was supposed to be there to protect and to guide and instruct, but he wasn't. And now every guy I've had a relationship with seems to be just the same. Every friend that I've ever had, even the ones that I was closest to, for some reason they walked away and stabbed me in the back and now every relationship I'm in is exactly the same. We choose what we fill this gap with. Look at me in the eyes for a moment. I know some of you are sitting there saying, but I've tried to fill it with the right things, but man, when I get hurt over and over and over again, I just begin to lose faith. I begin to lose faith. Pastor Kerry, I appreciate what you're saying. And I know a lot of people in this room need to hear this, but you just don't know my story. You don't know how many times my experience didn't match my expectation. And he promised again and again, this time would be different and it wasn't. Again and again. Can I just challenge you? When you're faced with that gap between your experience and your expectation, can can I just challenge you? Would you choose to fill it with trust? To, To say, you know what? It hurt when you didn't. Or it hurt when you weren't. 
you said you would, but you, you did, and it hurt, man. I don't even know how to talk about it, but I know that the potential inside of you is greater than this which I'm experiencing, and so I'm going to choose to trust that you can do better next time. When there's a gap between your expectation and your experience, can you choose to fill it with grace? Do you know what grace is? Grace is favor that you don't deserve. You told me at the altar, forsaking all others till death do us part. That gap is big. But I know, I know that you're better than that. And I believe that you have potential. So I'm going to give you grace. Even though in my heart I don't feel like you deserve it. When that gap is there, can I challenge you to choose to fill the gap with love? The passage of scripture that Pastor Jeremy quoted earlier, perfect love casts out all fear. But what if I let my guard down and they hurt me again? What if I meet a new friend and they stab me in the back again? What if I become vulnerable and I share my opinion and they laugh or they mock? And What if you fill the gap with love and allow God to begin to work on the fear? You choose what you fill this gap with. And I wonder what would happen in the relationships that you're in, in the relationships that I'm in, if every time our expectation and our experience doesn't match up, I wonder what would happen if we filled this gap with trust and grace and love. You know, this story is modeled for us. It's modeled for us by Jesus. When God created humanity, the expectation didn't match the experience. And it created a gap called sin. And the Bible says there's a consequence that's grave and sobering for the actions of sin. And everybody in this room has sin in our life. You do, I do, we all do. And the consequences are death and an eternity in hell. And the truth is we deserve it. But when God looks at us, he was filled with hope. Because inside of each of us, he sees the potential that resonates from the core of who we are. See, even though there's the mistakes and flaws and imperfection, I see something great for them. And he filled that gap with Jesus. Who came to this earth and lived a sinless life. Who spoke truth in such a way that it sent ripples through all of mankind, all of humanity and all of history. And ultimately, he laid his life down and died on the cross. Paying the ransom for your sin and for mine. And in one act of selfless love, God filled that gap with grace. It's the message of hope and future for you and for me. Not only does it pave a way for a relationship with God, but I believe what God is speaking through that, it resonates through everything that we do. And God's saying, man, if you're worthy, 
of the life of an innocent man, then the people that you do life with are worthy of your trust, your grace, and your love. We choose what we fill that gap with. The responsibility is on us. The responsibility is on us. I want to take a moment before we go any further. And I just want to speak to those of you who are in this room that may be wavering in your faith. Or you may be saying, man, I I love what you're saying, but I've never made that connection to God. In fact, I feel like there's a gap between me and him. Everything I try, everything I I do, I try to get better. I try to stop making stupid choices. I try to go to church more, but I just feel like there's a gap. And, And I would tell you, man, there's nothing you can do to earn the love of God. It's already freely given to you. And in fact, you can't get good enough. You can't attend church enough. If you want to experience the beginning of a relationship like that with God. And look him in the eyes. More importantly, the start of something brand new. There's nothing you can do to get there. But there's one thing you can say. That's Jesus. I give you my life. And that's the beginning. Life doesn't get perfect. But it gets good. God steps into the middle of everything. Your mess, my mess, your brokenness, my brokenness. And says, I'm going to start something new. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, today is your day. I'm not going to embarrass you. You don't have to get out of your seat. In about 15 seconds, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I want to challenge you right where you're seated. In your own heart. To repeat this prayer after me. Some of you have made this decision before, but you've been running from God. Today's the day to come back. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? No one looking around, nobody moving. I'm going to pray a prayer. I'll be the only one talking. But if that's you today, you need to start something new in your own heart. Just repeat this prayer after me to say, God, I know you're real. I know you love me. And I know you're doing something right now. But I've got sin in my life. Would you forgive me? Thank you for sending Jesus to fill the gap for my life. Everyone in this room, if it's you, just repeat this prayer in your own heart. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.